This episode of First Up has been modified from its original broadcast to best accommodate to your liking here in podcast form. Be sure to save the URL to each episode page via cfmu.ca slash shows slash 159 within eight weeks after an episode's air date for full show playlists and songs. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy today's content. Have a good one. Well, good morning. This is the first wake-up call here on 93.3 CFMU. For First Up, my name is Joe Marr, here to be with you for the next 90 minutes on today's program. Another special program with a full-length guest feature. Yeah, exciting stuff. We've got somebody who I'm really excited to share about conversation-wise with you, and of course, some music. That's a bit of a hint to the kind of guest we'll be having today. But first, of course, we always kick things off with jazz, and we will do that indeed. So, I will catch you in just a bit after this song, and remember the title because it might come in handy down the road during this episode. Anyways, I'll be back in just a bit. Hopefully enjoy this in the meantime. tuba on a jazz tune (laughs) that is just way too good for miles davis that was and a few other fine folks who i'll introduce in just a bit first off that was a song called move from miles's 1957 album birth of the cool the very album birth of the cool and uh, this is actually a compilation album of songs recorded between 1949 and 1950 and this was one from the 1949 session with kai winding on trombone uh, get this, Junior Collins on French horn. I love this so much when I first heard it, even though it was very recent, just because of the excellent, just the balance or the blending of different instruments. I mean, I don't know if you managed to pick it out, but it sounded like there were trumpet and alto sax that were sort of blending so well together. Maybe even the French horn in this part of that mix. And then the low brass, the trombone, the tuba and the Barry Sachs all mixing together so well. Sort of like having a marching band in jazz setting. <laughs> it was so good, though, nonetheless. Anyways, all, also on this list is Bill Barber, speaking of tuba, on the tuba. Uh, Al Haig on piano, Joe Shulman on the bass, Max Roach doing the drums, and in the sax section, Lee Konitz on alto sax, and get this, Jerry Mulligan on Barry Sachs. This is the very same Jerry Mulligan, who I've played a few times on this album, uh, and he's actually, and this is interesting that I, I never realized that Jerry was on this album. I knew him for Night Lights, which is a favorite album of mine, uh, and of course for Giroux, which is one, this is the one that I know that I've played on the show. But interestingly, the name Giroux comes from this track listing here as well, which is very interesting. Uh, he has it here, but I don't believe it actually appears on the Giroux album from uh, which was, would have been much later, I think, in 1962. But nonetheless, Jerry Mulligan is still a fantastic uh, songwriter. Uh, Now, Move was not written by um, Jerry Mulligan. It was actually uh, written by Denzel Best and arranged in this one by John Lewis. But a lot of other tracks on this album were all uh, written uh, or in some ways contributed to by Jerry Mulligan. Anyways, fantastic album. And uh, do keep in mind, I did mention having it in your mind for this episode. So there is a reason for the mention of the importance of the name of this album and of course the artist so keep these in mind miles davis birth of the cool they might come in handy later on in today's program anyways along with an introduction but i did want to first start off well i guess continue off 
at some point in the show, in this introduction, by greeting good morning or whatever time it is you might be tuning into the show. And thank you so much for tuning into First Up, and I hope you enjoy the content that I've got prepared for you today. It's going to be a special episode, another exciting full-length feature of one single guest. Today it's also a musical guest, but I wanted to have a few more songs on because I just couldn't pick if I had to go only by one or two songs for today's show. Uh, this guest, let me just jump right into it, though, So, and I'm sure you're going to have a great time with this one. This guest is a Juno-nominated singer. Actually, let me let me scratch that. You're going to hear later on in the conversation that this artist is Juno-nominated. She's already actually won an award for Best Vocal Jazz Album of the Year, and this was last year for an album called Now Pronouncing. This year was a nomination for her latest release, Featuring. But what I wanted to say here with excitement, and I guess the interesting timing about this episode, is that as of the time of this recording, uh, just a very recent weekend when the 2023 Junos were held, the title for nomination for Vocal Jazz Album of the Year 2023 can now be converted into, drumroll, <laughs> I guess you could. I can just imagine the virtual patting of hands and stuff with you there. Don't worry about it. I mean, it might be embarrassing if you do it in public. But anyways, um, no, that can be converted into a win. Yes, Katie George is our guest for today. And she won the 2023 Vocal Jazz Album of the Year Award for Featuring, which is her latest album again. And I will be sharing uh, some of that conversation, actually the whole conversation, of course. But we'll be, uh, I, I talked about the album with her a little bit and kind of some of the contents and kind of how it all came to be. Because not only is Katie on this album, but so are a bunch of other fantastic artists who you will be able to hear, you will, that is, be able to hear over the span of the conversation. Uh, and of course, other conver- other ta- talking points that uh, Katie and I had, I hope you enjoy them. So here's how we're going to do this for this morning or whenever you get to this basically uh we're gonna have just a song just to help you get familiarized with the katie george sound uh, a song from featuring and then i'll jump right into the interview and then from there we'll see what happens i might jump in a few times for the second wake-up call and other songs that i really wanted to share that would fit perfectly whenever i decide to pause the interview at some point and jump into some extra content anyways without further ado here's katie george from the album featuring with her rendition of a song called it might as well be spring and interestingly time because of course if you know of all the snow that we've had of recent that have just been just a few days apart i'm sure that some some people and maybe yourself as well might be thinking gee was couldn't it be spring already in fairness though we've had an interesting winter so far i mean i guess they kind of say that for every winter now but anyways i'll let katie express that in this song once again it might as well be spring Featuring Kyle Poglin on trumpet. This is 93.3 CFMU. Joe Mar here with you, and I have a special guest who I'm really excited to chat with today, who is a jazz vocalist, uh, but pretty much lives and breathes everything jazz, has an album that was recently released called Featuring, and I have a lot of other things I'd be looking so very forward to, to talking to with this guest. And so it is my pleasure to introduce to you Katie George. Katie, 
thanks so much for uh, coming on. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. So I, I think just in case people don't already know about Katie George, I mean, you you obviously, of course, have already uh, been uh, nominating and having won Junos and stuff. So you were a Juno Award winning. And I actually think you've been nominated again uh, this year, haven't you, been for Best uh, Jazz Vocal Album of the Year, right? Yep, that, that's correct. So the Junos, well, I guess at the time of this recording, if you're listening, they're coming up uh, very soon. So all the best. And hopefully things are good there. But in case anyone has, if you're listening and you have never heard of Katie George before, uh, I would wonder why you wouldn't have. But anyways, uh, Katie, if you want to just quickly tell us a bit about yourself, then go on ahead. Absolutely. Well, I'm a born and raised Calgarian. um, And now I spend a lot of my time between Calgary and Montreal and touring all over the place. I'm a composer. I write my own songs and my own lyrics. I do a lot of arranging. I do a lot of improvising and a lot of transcribing. So really anything that has to do with swing, um, I like to do. That's amazing. And it stretched a lot of your childhood, I think, music, right? Because growing up, I've heard that you weren't particularly, I wouldn't say like a music-oriented family in the sense of them being musicians like your parents, but there have been ties, let's say, you know, they listening to music and I guess in your case, uh, having been part of a jazz choir back in, in high school, right? Was that kind of, that's sort of where roughly, I guess, your, your inklings to jazz would have sort of be- begun, eh? Absolutely. Um, I, I guess like my first sort of exposure to the music would have been with the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas album by Vin- the Vince oh, yes. Guaraldi trio. And <laughs> I didn't even realize that it was jazz at the time. I just really enjoyed the music and I would try singing along to the piano solos. I didn't even realize they were piano solos, to be honest. Oh, really? So that was like, you know, I just thought it was all part of the music because I was like, you know, <laughs> six years old. But, um, you know, oh. I, I always loved that and didn't really until I was in college, didn't realize just how swinging that record is. It's so good. And I think it's a lot of people's like first point of entry to the music, which is wonderful. It is. Um, And I was in jazz choir. I joined when I was in grade 11 at Central Memorial High School in uh, in Calgary, Alberta. And my uh, choir teacher, Anne Gray, was absolutely wonderful. And she was incredibly supportive of me uh, learning the music. But to be a thousand percent honest with you, I didn't really start like devoting, I guess, my life um, and all of my time to learning like swing and like bebop and all that kind of stuff until I started dating a jazz drummer. So, um, <laughs> so I, uh, I started dating this jazz drummer and I wanted something to talk about on our dates because I was at that time really into Amy Winehouse, really into Motown as well. So, you know, Martha Reeves, oh, yeah. Sam Cooke, like it, yeah, all of the great, like wonderful Motown artists, um, Shirelles, you know, all of them. Oh, yes. Oh yes, uh, and that's what I was really into. But he really liked this. Uh, he really liked jazz. Um, and on one of our first dates, I took him to the record store that I would go to during my free periods um, in high school. There was a record store in the same neighborhood, and I would drive my 1993 Honda Civic over and dig through the bins <laughs> of 45s. Um, and I got to know the uh, got to know the staff really well. And there's a really wonderful woman named Lisa who worked at Turn It Up Records in Calgary and um, still works there, and she's wonderful. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I took him to that record store. And I was looking at the Otis Redding section, you know, like going through all the Otis Redding records. And he was looking at the Miles Davis stuff. And he said, you know, you should buy this record. And it was Birth of the Cool. And I wanted to impress him. So I bought it. (laughs) And I went home and I I put it on my turntable. And I really didn't like it. I I listened to it multiple times back Uh to front, you know. And I could not get behind it. Now, 
one of my favorites. Absolutely one of my favorite records, but definitely oh, yeah. was not really the the record I needed to hear first to get me into this music. And yeah. fr- from there, I, I went onto the iTunes page, um, the iTunes jazz page to get some of the best known jazz albums. And I had a $25 iTunes gift card. So I tried to get as much as my money could possibly get me, which mm-hmm. was um, smaller albums that didn't have as many songs on them. So I got Miles Smiles <laughs> and I got Herbie Hancock's Maiden Voyage. Okay. Yes. And yeah. I think I also got Giant Steps or I bought that one on CD or something. So I was mm-hmm. buying albums that were very well known, but albums that were not the most welcoming as a first-time listener. <laughs> yeah. um, especially, you know, there's some some of the tracks on like um, Mile Smiles and uh, Maiden Voyage are, are they're not they're not what Ella would do, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, you know, I took yeah. I took a step back and I started listening to Ella, Sarah, Billie Holiday, mm-hmm. Carmen McRae, Anita O'Day, June Christie, um, Betty Carter, and. Oh, yeah. From there, I got more into the instrumental side of things and really enjoyed Hank Mobley. And from Hank, I went to Sonny Stitt and Charlie Parker. And I'm just, I'm that now it's, it's all that I listen to really. Yeah. But, bouncing um, around the different genres of, of jazz, absolutely. right? The bebop era. That Miles Davis album, was it a brand new um, CD, one of the reissues? So it must've costed quite a bit. Oh yeah. It, it was uh, like $40. Yeah. <laughs> like it wasn't, it wasn't a beat up old copy from, right. you know, like, like an original still issue. Yeah, oh, if it was an original issue, it would have been way more than 40, way more, but it yeah. wasn't one that was like redone in the nineties or anything. No, uh-huh, this was uh-huh. like in the plastic. Um, <laughs> it was expensive and I was working at part time at a home decor shop. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I love my job and I absolutely love that shop. Um, it's called Valley Boutique in Calgary, Alberta, hey, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I, I wasn't making like, I, I was careful with my money cause I was still stay, saving for school and I, I was paying for my insurance and all my gas for my car and everything and cars are very expensive. And so $40, you know, that's for, for my civic, that's a tank of gas. That's like, that's two and a half weeks of driving. So yeah, I really, yeah. I had to impress yeah. him. <laughs> no, it was, uh, but but I, it sounds like it was it was definitely well worth investing. It's like something, I guess, that sort of took time to really get the value out of, almost right. And then now it must be a, a favorite possession, or it's at least one that would be one of uh, one of your, uh, I guess, I could say favorites, almost. But. Absolutely, and it's the the memory tied to it is great because uh, I'm still dating the jazz drummer over seven and a half years later. There you go. Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I mean, it's it really shows also in your music, by the way, just all the influences and uh, just, I think, your command of being able to do all your scat solos and everything that you do in your music mel- melodically for the songs you write, which we'll get to and we can talk about featuring, but it really does show. And I know that aside from listening to music, uh, did you ever go to uh, whether there were live jazz concerts or shows or uh, do you remember one like when you when you first started getting into it kind of that experience absolutely well i mean going back to the jazz drummer the first time we really met was at a jam um and i went to see a couple of my friends um performing at this um this calgary had this jazz yyc youth lab band which they still have and i think that's such a wonderful initiative um there wasn't a vocalist in the group and i still don't think they have vocalists which i believe they should but that's fine (laughs) um but uh, he was the drummer. He was one of the drummers for the group. The other drummer was a guy that I was going to high school with. And then I was really good friends with um, uh, my friend Jessica, who played piano. And I think she also played flute sometimes in the group, but mostly piano. And my friend Ethan, who also played piano in the group. 
And so I, um, I went to support them and he was there and I went up to sing Blue Skies with Ethan because Ethan was also a singer in the jazz choir. And um, Jacob was on the drums. The uh, Jacob, my, my drummer, <laughs> was he hopped on the drums and then he <laughs> sent me a little Facebook message afterwards saying, hey, it was really nice to get to play with you. Um, hope we can do it again soon. And then um, so that was one of the first like jam experiences I had. Um, but then like that following year, I was trying to see a lot of shows. So I was going out to more jams. Like there was a jam in, in one of the churches in like Southeast Calgary, which was really a trek for me very far away from where I lived, probably like a 30 minute drive, but it was worth it. And Mm -hmm. I was, you know, those were really formative experiences for me, you know, learning tunes, trying to scat. I really applaud all of the people who put up with me when I was uh, trying to scat back then, because it was not a very, uh, those uh, solos were not well informed. So I applaud all of the people at the uh, Bonavista uh, Jazz Jam in Calgary, Alberta between like 2015 and 2017. <laughs> oh, and I appreciate you breathing those names out because I think these people definitely really, uh, it's, it's these places, right? It's kind of like where it's those spaces where you can just experiment and try and develop and that sort of thing. It immediately makes me think because I myself uh, did a jazz band in high school. We sometimes would have also done uh combinations or like collabs mm-hmm. with our jazz choir and stuff i was one of the uh, trombone players throughout oh, that time awesome. and so knowing you know solos was an extremely daunting experience of course because we we weren't exactly training and learning all the different you know the solo skills or really digging deep into the theory behind some of the chord changes on the, the songs we were playing so sometimes i would just let just casual jam sessions sometimes uh sneaking them in every once in a while with like our 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 rhythm section and just just going at it really right and it's it's those jamming i think when you when you get at it firsthand it's like just that's the greatest way to just express yourself musically and and to really get to try your hand at different solos and that sort of thing oh so absolutely no it's it's super super helpful it's a great way to try out what you're like practicing in real time with other people it's not Mm -hmm. just you know the band in the box the (laughs) iReal pro app you know it's it's awesome i love playing with real people Man, um, band in the box. Gee. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember those days and I said it, it but I looking back and I realized it, it kind of, it doesn't feel the same when, when you're with that, when you're not with people, right? Like a live setting. Absolutely. People that, that, uh, that, that backing drive or whatever it is to yeah. really help you get in the mood of, you know, soloing or, or whatever the case is. Right. Yeah. And even just being able to hear professional bands play, you know, that in of itself is just a really valuable experience. And I remember when I was in my grade 12 year, the Village Vanguard uh, came and toured in Calgary and they were playing two shows uh, over two nights. And I bought tickets to both shows because I was just so excited to see all these like world-class musicians (gasps) coming to my city. And um, it was, uh, it was really, really special. So that was a very formative uh, concert for me. Well, those two concerts, I really enjoyed seeing those. Um, I think I, there was, there's a lot of different shows that I went to see a lot of local musicians, but I really remember, Mm -hmm. um, seeing the village Vanguard at the Jack Singer concert hall in Calgary. Yeah. Or even just something that came to mind was like even having professional musicians sitting into two sessions. Like we had, we've had uh, saxophonists and, um, I think what's his, uh, the name's not coming to me. And I I really wish I could mention these people's names (laughs) because I owe them a lot in terms of 
the time they spent, whether it was you know sitting in and guesting on a solo or a song or giving clinics to say, here's how you want to play this. I remember we had uh, as, on a, trombone se- a trombone section, excuse me, one of the uh, songs we were playing was a cover of Sir Duke, Stevie Wonder's Sir Duke. Awesome. And it was, uh, there was a section in... Actually, just the just the main rhythm, like the, the thing where everyone's in unison right after the chorus. Oh, it's like that, that's da, 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 whatever it is, right? Yeah. And of course, we weren't playing it in the original key because for for uh, horn instruments, it's not a it's not a favorable key to play in. So we had it just like a half step up, but still, it was quite challenging. Uh, and it was one that went into like went from that straight funk into just double time for solos, double time swing. So it was like a weird transition going in the middle. But anyway, yeah, uh, it's the clinicians really that helped to. To, to guide us in how we wanted to play it. So it, it's, it's honestly just such a great experience having them like right up in front of you as well, totally. joining in your music. So did, did you ever have any, uh, like what was the, or maybe I can say what was, I guess, the first experience that you had when, whether a professional musician or maybe now who could be a good friend of yours now uh, came in and uh, did a song or, or um, I, I guess did some clinic or something like that. Um, well, in high school, jazz choir, my uh, my vocal jazz teacher had somebody come in to work on scatting with us, mm. and that was fun. Um, it was kind of more of a holistic approach than um, what mm-hmm. I would go about teaching my own my own way. But um, it was still <laughs> like for a lot of people, I think it was really helpful and a really great way to introduce them to scatting because a lot of people um, find it really challenging and have a lot of questions like what syllables do I use and like that kind of stuff. And I, I don't think about any of that, to be honest. I just am really <laughs> focused on the melody and getting the, getting the melody across in a, in a meaningful way. But mm-hmm. um, I remember it being in Humber college and having a lot of really great, um, a lot of really great clinics there. Um, I think Ian Shaw came in, he's a wonderful vocalist. And that mm-hmm. was really interesting talking about, I think delivering lyrics uh, there was a really uh, wonderful, I think, Italian vocalist named Pilar, and she was wonderful as well. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to. I'm trying to. This is like six years ago. My <laughs> brain is really working hard. Um, no worries. No worries. I've had lots of really great, great clinicians, but I think you know um, something that I really enjoyed was when I was in my. I think it was my second year of college. Um, I was put into Pat LaBarbera's ensemble at Humber and Pat, uh, like one of the most influential things that he did was, uh, he told me, Katie, like, I've got a whole bunch of recordings of singers, bring your hard drive by next time. And I'm going to, uh, give you all, give you all of these albums. And so I, on my hard drive, I've got all these really wonderful albums that I am still making my way through from really incredible singers lots that I hadn't heard of before like Oscar Brown Jr., Monica Zetterland, um, really, really beautiful albums and that was, that meant a lot to me um, because uh, it, it really showed that Pat was like, you know, like trying to open up my ears to new things and then when I was getting into my Hank Mobley phase, which I don't think ever really ended but was very, very strong <laughs> at one point, um, uh-huh, uh-huh. Pat gave me a whole bunch of the Hank Mobley albums so that I could transcribe some solos that might not have been available on YouTube and that was really great. And I really appreciated his um, his support and his guidance with that kind of thing. And it really means a lot. And I mean, oh, Pat yeah. was featured on my, my latest record mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. on the song Tis Autumn. And he introduced me to that song. Um, oh, and I see. Yeah, just so I feel like Pat has been like a very uh, influential figure. Um, one of those sort of like professional musicians that really like steps in and uh, is so helpful to young, young musicians 
Um, That's amazing, yeah. And you can talk to anybody who studied with Pat, and they're probably going to say the exact same thing. Just like That's a really amazing. like amazing force in the music and oh, in its um in its passing on the tradition. Yeah, so. I mean, I mean, thinking of all the different experiences he's had, you know, especially the biggest when I saw Pat LaBarbera on the on the uh, I guess the uh, the lists of artists for featuring, I said. No way! Is this the same one that was on the Buddy Rich band? And then I realized it yes, is, it is. and I'm like, gee, every and then every album I've seen him featured on, it's like these are the albums that I've loved listening to digitally, and I can't wait to get a, a copy of physically for a say for record playing or something like that. Like the Roar of '74 is one of the first Buddy Rich albums that I listened to, and uh, is just one where uh, I think it was. I'll, I'll tell you myself, it's been uh, an interesting journey. I never really reflected on my journey of jazz myself. like, But I can tell you just regardless of everything all started from that high school experience. And I think that's mm-hmm. really where it was. Um, and so it, it was just just amazing. Where I was going with that, I have no idea. However, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, like, uh, there's just so much that I could go on through jazz-wise. But I was going to ask, although you mentioned, you know, you, you take a very different approach to how you how you do scatting and stuff, you know, do you, and I was going to go into some specifics. Oh, yeah, do you have any favorite scat syllables or is there any sort of go to thing that you do? But I, I figure that it's just whatever makes sense, right, to convey the music and, and that sort of thing. Absolutely. No, everything that I do is like improvised. Um, I don't plan out my solos beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that some some people do. Um, for me, that's not improvisation. That's, you know learning a line, learning a yeah. melody. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, whatever floats anybody's boat. I'm not, I'm not here to yuck anybody's yum. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, yep. but for me, the improvisation is such a fun part of the music. I feel like, I feel incredibly lucky as a singer because um, I mean, I don't have perfect pitch, so I don't have to memorize the chord symbols or anything. I do have to know what they are and where the music is headed, but I don't have mm. to memorize like voicings or anything like that. So yeah. I feel yeah. very lucky that I get to interpret the melody completely freely of, you know, knowing what I'm playing. If that sounds like I don't know what I'm doing, but because, um, of course, I know the I know the harmony and I can I build my melodies and how I interpret melodies based on my knowledge of the song and, of course, of the lyrics and the phrasing and that kind of thing. But I feel like I have maybe a little bit more freedom than other players who might be uh, restricted to um different you know like different things on their instrument like i love to slide up to notes sometimes and yeah. a piano can't do that in the same way or at least not as easily <laughs> yes, yes some prepared piano stuff there but um <laughs> i um i just i feel very lucky that i can be able to sing the melody and then also improvise um yeah. and i get to convey the message with with uh words because yeah. i mean I think you can definitely do that on, you can obviously convey messages of songs on instruments instrumentally. Um, yes. But there's something really fun about speaking words or, you know, a, a friend of mine, uh, a saxophone player named Nate Waters in Calgary, he uh, he said to me once, um, music is a universal language, but some people want to hear that shit in English. <laughs> I apologize for swearing, but that's the quote. No, leave it. It's all good. It's all good. I could, I could, I could once before. I could once before. 
it, and it's interesting too because with the voice, uh, you, you can it is practically unrestricted. Of course, range is your limitation, yeah. but you have full dynamic control. You have full range control. You can do anything. You can bend it. You can uh, yeah. make it make it sound like anything really. And uh, yeah. I think that's sort of what you get to hear, especially with featuring, I think. And we'll um, maybe, maybe let me jump right into that, actually, because I, I feel like I really want to. There are just so many songs that's, that are derived from this that will tie into all the conversational bits. Uh, let me just Great. tell you the story of, of what of how I came across this album. And this might if you're listening to this as well, um, tuning into the interview uh, here with Katie George. I remember listening to a jazz station in Toronto, and I guess if I can name them because they are also listener supported, it's Jazz FM 91. Uh, and so I was listening one time, and I think it was I Feel Foolish that came on. And uh, to me, it was intriguing because of just, I mean, s- s- the, the tempo, of course, you know, s- uh, singing lyrically at that particular speed is already quite, quite a feat in itself. But I think it's just the, there was just something so captivating about that song listening to it in the car. And I think it's because even with the the quality of whatever speakers I was listening to, you can really hear all the dynamic range and everything that the voice can do. And so then I said, I got to listen to this album at home with my headphones on and everything or whatever. And it just sounded even better as I went around. So I said, you know, it's, it's, it's just such a, it's such a lovely album. Um, it you. might as well be spring is, is another one that I really loved. And even the, the very end, I'm just naming, I, I might give away the whole track listing at this point <laughs> by the end of this <laughs> chat, but uh, that was one or even something like, uh, I think the scatting really shows as well, purely instrumentally quote unquote, and it's pronounced George. And that one being such a great one, too. Just I absolutely love it. Honestly, such a fantastic album. Now, I know that. Yeah, uh, I know that this was um, you had a collaborative, of course, featuring because of it featuring every song has at least an artist or two that you have right as a guest. But um, how how long ago was it when this album came to be? Like, when would you say you began the process of putting it, assembling it together? Um, the, The process began in February of 2020. Um, that's when, so mm-hmm. this has been a very long time in the making. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, while I was at Humber college, um, in our fourth years, we were, uh, very lucky to have four five hour recording sessions, um, to create our capstone recording project, which we, we would uh-huh. submit for a grade. It was our final project. Um, the four years create this project essentially, um, you know, with everything that we've learned. So in my first uh, recording session. I recorded my album No Bounds with Jocelyn Gould. Um, we don't know when we're going to be able to get the recording session dates. Like, we don't get to choose our dates. Ah. So, and, you know, somebody has to go first and the first one after the announcement was like a week later. Um, so I was one of the very first ones and I wanted to record my 10 tet for my recording sessions but um, you can't rehearse a 10 tet in a week. So I... Yeah. Jocelyn Gould had just been hired at Humber, and so I asked her to be uh, ha- asked her to do the recording session. She did it. I really liked the outcome, and I released it independently. My next recording session was where I recorded my album "Now Pronouncing," mm-hmm. and so that's like all original for my tent hat. That required a lot of planning. Um, my third recording session I used as a mixing session for "Now Pronouncing" because that's what I wanted to submit as my EP. Okay, um, yeah. for my for my. Humber project and the EP could only be so long like it couldn't you couldn't submit an album you had to be an EP just because they had a mastering engineer they were hiring to master the music and <laughs> mm-hmm. so it, it couldn't be too long that makes sense yeah and then my so I had one more recording session left and I thought I'm just going to invite some people 
to play. Um, I'll make some arrangements for them. We'll like play some tunes. Um, and I want a different guest on each one because I feel like this would be a really fun project. And so yeah. it was in February 2020, like a month before everything went. And went, so I figured as yeah. then it kind of, kind of would lead into the question of, would you say that the timing of when you started this session would you say it had an impact on any of the songs? Now, now I have I have my thoughts on this, but I'll I'll see what. Uh, oh, absolutely! If that had I'm any sure. Play in it. I'm yeah. sure you picked up "Start Again." That one is definitely my I was going to say I was listening to it, and I said, "Hmm, this this sounds like it was sort of a, a result of the pandemic, or sort yes. of sort of that stay at home that we had mm-hmm. around that time." That's true. So it was. Yeah. So it means it's been it's been like a continuous process since Feb 2020. It, I guess absolutely. That, yeah. I I, th- I can't remember how many songs were I chose. There was there were some songs that I had recorded in February 2020, and then I just didn't end up using. Um, like, but then I hired that person to record later, like Kyle Tartar Stoll. Uh-huh. Um, I he did lullaby of the leaves and then I just never ended up really liking how the track sounded and wasn't like super in love with how I sang the lyrics and just not my, not my favorite set of lyrics either. Um, I think it's a beautiful song. Um, Ella sings it beautifully on her hello Dolly record, but (laughs) wasn't it just, I just didn't fall in love with it. And then I had a a recording of pennies from heaven, which was just like Uh last 20 minutes of the session. And I'm like, why don't we do this one sort of thing? (laughs) And it was just very goofy. And so maybe I'll release it eventually, but it's, um, I don't know when that, or if that will see the light of day. So, um, there's only a few from that original February, 2020 session. Um, and then it was in, I think 2021. Um, I, well, I applied for a grant so that I could be able to, uh, record the album and I started thinking more about it and I thought you know what this could be a this could be a full length like I don't want to I don't want to release another EP I want this to be a full length album so I applied for a grant and uh, was graciously received a, a grant from the Canada Council for the Arts for the creation of this album mm-hmm. and so with that money I was able to pay all of the musicians that I had had for my Humber session um, I guess retroactively and then I was also able to you know get the band back together, get the studio in Toronto, uh, um, uh-huh. which we did all very safe, like masked when, when needed and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to hire even more musicians. So that's when uh. I started, that's when I got to hire um, the rhythm section again. And then I got Christine Jensen and Laura Onglad and Allison Ow and Jocelyn Gould and Virginia McDonald. And uh-huh. just so many wonderful, wonderful people that I've always wanted to work with or work with again. And um they, they all said yes, and so it was really, really special. And some of the songs, like, I wrote with people in mind, like on um, The Feeling is Mutual with Laura. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wrote the vocalese specifically for her and I to sing. Like, I wrote it with um, for oh. her and I. The song I wrote independently of that, but then I thought, you know what, this could actually be really fun. This works as a duet, and I'll just write a vocalese so it ties everything together. Yeah. Um, start Again, I thought Jocelyn would sound beautiful on, but I also knew that I wanted to do a duo song with her, which is where I Miss Missing You comes from. Um, oh, I see. Because I do notice that some people do appear multiple times, but I figure there might have been a very specific purpose for each of the artists being on specific songs, right? Exactly. And same with my friend Lucas Dubovic. He um, mm-hmm. he was wonderful in being the, uh, like, he, he appears as like a background horn liner when there's two horns on some of the songs. He's typically that second horn, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. He's got a beautiful tone and just wonderful person to work with. And... Um, so yeah, he appears on a couple in addition to his own. Like I think he's on Ideal and he's on Look the No, 
he's on cover up as well. Um, yes. Yeah. And so he appears on a couple, and I think it, I think it's just him and Jocelyn. Oh well, I guess and on it's pronounced George. You know that one I wrote the day of the session, so I kind of surprised people and I said, "Hey, if you're if you want to stick around, we can record this blues at the end of the day, um, and I'd love for you to be on it. And just like take a couple choruses and it'll be chill." And that's what that's what that came of because I, I think I was like, the name of the song has just been it, it was created after years and years of hearing Georgie or Georgie when people yes. try to pronounce my last name and I get it I absolutely get it because mm-hmm. my last name is spelled so funny but um it's Hungarian and you know like there's a lot of names out there and people I don't know it's, it would just be nice because I keep correcting people and then people kept saying it wrong and yeah. um yeah. Sometimes it would be when people were announcing me for gigs and that's oh, when it dear. was like really frustrating because oh, I would tell them, I'm like, just so you know, my last name is pronounced George. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it was even the first name. Like I get Kathy or Caddy. Oh, and I'm no. like, no, it's Katie. <laughs> <laughs> so I know. But it's it's okay. No, I love I, I honestly love how upfront you are with it because it just kind of adds a little bit of humor too. But everywhere I go, like every page I see your name, whether it's on your website or any sort of article, there's always going to be a little note somewhere there that says it's just pronounced George. Yeah. Just because I, I, I figured that I, I, I could only imagine how many times you've, you've had to go through all those various pronunciations, probably yeah. something that might be wider than, uh, than uh, one's vocal range or something of different pronunciation types and stuff, right? Some people get incredibly creative. Um, oh, dear. You know, it, it's... <laughs> It's really special. Um, sometimes I get stuff that doesn't even make sense, like Gregory. And I'm like, I mean, I guess if we like add a few more letters and um, it's always fun when I get like telemarketers calling me too. Cause oh, and then it's like, funny. oh, can I speak to like Caitlin Gyorgi? I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't. There's nobody of that name at this number. Thank you. you know? Oh, that's It's actually, hey, that works to your advantage, I guess, as a strategy for uh, scaring away telemarketers and stuff like that. <laughs> Absolutely. So I don't oh, that's know. that's amazing, it, yeah. But it's fine. I, I love my last name. I've had oh, lots yeah. of people come up to me and say, why don't you change it? I'm like, no, I don't want to change it. I like no, it. Um, I think it's, it's just, it's what adds character, right? Yeah. I think it, it, it makes you you. Absolutely. So, yeah. I, I had a funny experience when I was, uh, I played at the Jazz Room in Waterloo not too long ago and somebody came up to me at the set break and said why do you have a stage name like why don't you just go by your real name and I was like oh my goodness no this is like it's my real name and he uh this person had bought my cd very generous of him like thank you thank you to that guy and um he's like no right here it says Katie Georgi and I'm like yeah that, that's my name Katie George it's pronounced he's like it says Georgi I'm like it's pronounced George. I had to go through like it was like a full-on conversation about oh my, my name goodness. and I I'm like, I don't know how we got to this point, but it's an honest state, like, but it's okay. No, that's good. Honestly, well, I'll tell you, um, uh, for my case, uh, I don't know if, if, if in our previous communications you saw what my last name was coming up as, and there could be a whole boatload of different interpretations there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just tell people, just think of key and Latin put together, pretty much. Key Latin is my last name. But I get, oh, you know, Quilatan, Key, yeah. uh, you know, and all sorts of various things. But it's, but I know what you mean. And I, I just sort of leave it open, but because it's, it's, it's kind of, it's a little tricky because there's a certain, like, uh, I guess, uh, dialect or something almost to really get it precisely but you know it's, it's all good it's i i still take it you know it, yeah. i mean it's one of the only names that has a q around so i'll know exactly if everybody has to call me then i just look for the last name i'll say it's the one that starts with the q and that's it perfect <laughs> and that just makes it you know just like that yeah anyway i wanted to go back to it's pronounced george because um and, and much like that and all the other songs 
were they sort of songs that basically said, okay, let's just do this in one take and see if we like it. If we don't, then we'll just record the whole thing over again and, and do it. Or were these all just indeed, just you said, let's just take the track, this one take, regardless of if there are little things here and there and just kind of leave it at that or? Yeah. So um, I don't do, I don't typically do edits with any of my music. Um, and I think, so it's like the take that I'm using is the take that we recorded. So there, it's not going to be perfect by, um, by, whoever by anybody's standards maybe but I mean but I think there's something really special about taking a recording and just recording what it is and not yeah. changing anything like I don't add tuning to the voice or anything and the well this specific recording session the edits were impossible um just because everything was recorded on the floor yeah. so there's bleed in all of the microphones and mm-hmm. so that makes it incredibly challenging to do any edits and so I thought Oh, well, that's fine. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So it's, uh, yeah, with it's pronounced George. I feel like, I feel like maybe we did one or two takes. There might have been like one warm up where we just went, played the song down um, mm-hmm. just so that people could listen to it because I, I gave them the music the same day. Um, uh-huh. And, um, but I think it was like this, maybe the second take or something. It, mm-hmm. it was very, it was the very end of the session. That's the last thing we did. Um, yeah, yeah. But everything else, you know, it's sort of like, okay, well, I really like that. There was one part about here I didn't like, so let's try it again. But with most things, we didn't do more than, more than three takes with anything. Oh, yeah. And um, typically, I don't think there were any first takes that were used just because um, due to COVID, like, I didn't have a space where I could rehearse that was going to be big enough for everybody and I didn't want to risk anything. So I just thought like the studio was huge, which was amazing. So everybody was like fully distanced. And, um, so essentially take one was, was the rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and of course I sent the music out in advance with, um, with the Sibelius charts and like the MIDI files. And if I had some sort of like a recording to share, I would send that out. Um, but for the most part, yeah, Take one was the rehearsal, and then take two or three was was the the uh, the selected yeah one. But I I figure it's also quite nice just having the full takes when you do them, no matter how many times, because it gives you that chance to uh, try it again. Because I'm I mean you know with soloing, and I'm sure that if you're listening, if you ever listen to anything jazz related that uh solos are unique so you're never really going to do the same thing twice oh no and then it's just a matter of probably picking well which one which one do i like better or what yeah because it um i remember I'll, I'll i'll throw something back to my jazz band days the first year that i was in we did a, re- a recording session just so we could get the feel of how it was like recording these tracks and listening but all of them were done with two or three takes and it was just so fascinating to listen to see how things differed between them of course there were the the main the main chorus parts were just everything that was all part of the core melody but then from the solo section it was just so interesting to listen and sort of see how people did in different takes and stuff and would you say that um the the solos themselves had any part in your decisions or was mostly just of course making sure that the the melodies were fine and everything i mean like fine in 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 a sufficiently good sense like i figured it didn't have to be 100 percent polished or anything like that yeah uh, the uh the it was mostly about the solos um to be honest i mean and also i i I arranged the music to have like certain hits and stuff and like um rhythmic stuff and so those need to be tight as well and those need to be clear so mostly about band performance and solos um because the melody i mean the nice thing about recording your own unreleased original music is that you know 
nobody's comparing it to anything. So if you make That's a mistake true. and you end up liking it, then that could just be the song. So um, oh, typically man. with with the um, with the and because they're my original songs, I know them super super yeah. well because they're all very mm-hmm. personal and well not personal, but they're all they mean a lot to me. So um, yeah, mostly about the solos. Like, do I like how I sound here? Um, and about tuning as well. Like, you know, were we in tune? <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. But typically, like, I I think the best part about working with a band that's just so fantastic and professional and musical is that you don't really have to worry about tuning. You don't really have to worry about rhythms, that kind of stuff. So it's it's um, it's very nice to have that luxury and to not have to redo certain sections and go over stuff in the studio because that wastes time. And I've never had to do that before, which I'm very lucky, um, lucky to say that because that's good. Yeah. You know, my band, I just my band works hard and they prepare the music and can't really ask for anything more than that yeah and, and honestly i think if you're all at one with one another when you're in the room whether it's rehearsed or like like recording tracks or even just doing stuff live and just everybody's sort of in the same i guess almost wavelength they're, they're reading each other like okay we're gonna do this we're gonna do this and it's just all practically seamless like i i imagine um whenever you have live performances with with your group or your band just having all those visual cues and everybody looking around and that dynamic right it's, it's always just everyone's just so tight and you yeah. have no worries about, oh, are we going to have to do this over again? Or, or, or hey, when are we going to end the song? Or whatever is going to end up happening, you know, and just waving for that uh, waving for that big coda fist or something, whatever the case might be. Exactly. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, like, nonverbal communication happening. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, which is funny because, you know, it's music, it's audible. But most of the communication is coming from looks on the bandstand or in the recording yeah. studio, like you mentioned. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be it'd be honestly uh, really interesting if one day if if you ever had an album recorded, but you actually do the video components and just watch you know see everybody in in almost an action to sort of look at all the different nonverbal cues made. I mean, of course, there's live performances that you probably do that as well, but just I, I can only imagine if if every album uh, that was recorded just had that visual aspect for people to enjoy as well. And now that we have like in, in this day and age of videos and stuff, that'd be kind of cool actually. Yeah. Um, there- I think I have one video from featuring that I haven't released yet just because um, the videographers that filmed it filmed it two different. um, I don't know. I need to do some editing to the footage, which is frustrating (laughs) and I just haven't gotten around to it. But my next uh, my next album, I recorded uh i had a one of the video one of the songs video recorded so i'm excited that's amazing yeah (laughs) i mean mean, there's also no shortage of of existing recordings of you singing you know whether with with a couple of a couple of people in a small combo or with your band or anything on on youtube on various spaces and so and of course heck with with things like the postmodern jukebox which i saw this was something that also came to me as i just was looking through and browsing and sort of seeing where else can i find katie george and so i saw this and i said there's no way that she did this with postmodern jukebox because i remember and this this everything seems to tie back to jazz band in high school i'm telling you i remember that we were we, we were in, uh, invited to listen to or just say uh, i think my music teacher julia jung she said oh hey go ahead and check this out uh, and she, she played a video of i think it was the earliest version of them covering megan trainer's all about that bass i think oh yeah that. with uh, casey abrams yes casey abram doing uh, playing the upright and singing and i think we said this is amazing and then we started going down the rabbit hole of mm-hmm. going for the next song to the next one but i never realized it would come full circle that i get to see katie george doing it for uh, and the song was taylor swift's love story yes right? um that was a yeah. lot of fun i went down to nashville to record that with them and we recorded two songs that day uh we did love story and then we also did robin's nest which is uh, mm-hmm. uh i think it I'm trying to remember the name 
oh, I forget the the composer. Oh my goodness, I know the composer. Um, <laughs> no worries, no worries. But wonderful tune. Um, but the uh, the love story song was a it, challenging arrangement, um, very quick. And I, I was on tour with Postmodern Jukebox in November and December, and I was in charge of counting off that tune on stage. And I did it even faster than we did in the video, and the band kept up beautifully. <laughs> so it was wonder, wonderful That's to work amazing. with them. Yeah, I mean, but well, it, I guess most. Sorry, I was going to say most live things. I, mean, I, I guess the natural tendencies are usually going like a little faster than normal. I, I'll never forget we played at the Rex uh, as a high school band too, just in Toronto, and uh, the, the, we we never played the chicken as fast as we did, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's sort of, anyway. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I um that that's awesome, <laughs> but yeah, things were definitely counted off a bit more. But it was a it was a lot of fun, really interesting experience. You know, hair and makeup done, and costumes, and oh, yeah big like it was a huge setup and it was really nice to work with everybody there and i had a blast doing it It was a not something that i'm used to doing like making a music video like that but um it was fun and i think the video has it's gained a lot of really positive reviews and um i'm i'm happy with how it turned out yeah, no, it's it's honestly phenomenal. And of course, the arrangement, listening to that and um, just just seeing how complex it was. Because I, I was listening, I was like, gee, there's like all sorts of time changes going through here. There's like some vocally complex lines going on and stuff. But turning what would be, I guess, um, a quote unquote simpler, um, just pop tune, just from the Taylor Swift original, and then just twisting into something extremely um, extravagant and just, just, just really exciting um, musically was just so great to hear and i always love stuff that comes from pmj but honestly yeah i was just such a fantastic there was one there was one comment i remember i think in that video that struck me and it was just so funny it kind of summed it up perfectly and it said it's incredible how she can sing so melodically at the speed of rap lyrically oh my gosh (laughs) yeah that's funny so some people honestly and, and that's the thing like some people could probably liken it to practically rap but vocally done as opposed to just being spoken so it's get, honestly fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah get, I, get I get that? those yeah. kinds of comments a lot, especially when I do vocalies. So mm. um, people are like, oh, this is like, like rap, but for like swing or jazz. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Yeah. 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 And immediately, you know, I, I but I love, I love the work of, of, of PMJ because another thing that also tied me to that is just the, the fact that any song really like you can take a pop song that could be as simple as it has to be or complex that could be turned into anything just fantastically jazz like one of my favorite albums uh, and I don't, I don't know if you've heard this one but um paul anka did one in the 2000s called rock swings oh and, interesting uh, this album is uh full of just yeah like just rock songs like um van halen's jump is in there uh michael jackson's something i forgot which michael jackson song it was. i think it was oh dear I'm, I'm, <laughs> this is gonna get me uh oasis's wonderwall was in there nirvana smells like teen spirits in there oh like all goodness. these and and he's just covered them for arranged them for big band and it's just so fantastic you know and it's, it's that's uh, cool i was one of those ones also that my music teacher did back in in high school and said here you should check this out this is amazing stuff but hey that's the wonder of jazz right it's just so many things it encompasses it's just fantastic absolutely Aside from your work with PMJ, you also remember you actually just came back as of the time of this. If you're listening to this, here I am with with Katie George. You went to Mexico 
and had a bit of a tour there, didn't you? Uh, yes. Uh, did some performances. Of course, I'm sure you also had some time to relax and enjoy the, uh, uh, the scenery around there. But uh, how was that experience? It was really wonderful. I, um, I really miss it. I was there for two weeks, which is a really nice amount of time to be in Mexico. And I, was, I wasn't on the ocean or anything. I was actually in a little village called Ajijic, which is on the uh, Lake Chapala, which is the largest freshwater lake in the country. Um, absolutely beautiful town, cobblestone streets, um, great shops, really wonderful markets, um, awesome spas. <laughs> so it oh, was yeah. great. And I was there oh, for yeah. the um, the Northern Lights Festival de Febrero, which is their February festival. They have an August workshop for students that um, happens as well. But I was there for the February festival with the jazz band. And I was there with some Toronto cats, which were they were awesome to play with. I've never I'd never met or played with them before, but the band was led by Richard Underhill, saxophone player. Um, and had uh, Joe Phillips on the bass and Red Schwager on the guitar and Tim Shaw on the drums. And it was so wonderful to get to work with those guys. They oh, that's were fantastic. such kind people and they played my arrangements so beautifully. And it was so fun. We had a, we had quite a few different performances um, ranging from like in a big auditorium to an outdoor stage to somebody's um, incredibly large backyard <laughs> terrace. Um <laughs> to another like a uh, courtyard performance so lots oh, wow. of different stages and it was it was just so fun playing the people were so lovely and the weather was beautiful and the food was good um i'm gluten-free and lactose-free so um mm. luckily tacos are still fine for that and so <laughs> perfect yeah there you go. um yeah. it was it was a really special special experience and um i hope to go back again oh, um, for sure. i just i absolutely loved it and such a great way to beat all the winter weather we've been having here lately, <laughs> regardless oh of where across, where, where, wherever in Canada one may be. I'm not sure about BC, but I know uh, as of this recording, there have been a huge string of just random snowstorms and things that have come down. So, you know, Mexico know. is like the perfect getaway. <laughs> it was really lovely. It was really challenging to uh, to go back home. Um, yeah. The weather there was consistently 27 to 28 degrees every day. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But then at nighttime, it would get a bit cooler at 13 degrees, so it wasn't awful to sleep in. That's, um, that's actually fantastic to sleep so, in. So, yeah. yes. So I just kept the window open, and the birds would wake me up in the morning. There was also a rooster that would wake me up in the morning. Oh, that was lovely. less graceful. Well, that was okay. like 7 a.m. every morning, this rooster going nuts. <laughs> but but it was still a lot of fun. And oh, yeah. um yeah. I stayed like the really neat thing about the festival is that all of the different artists and there's, I think, you know, close to 30 different artists that come down from all over the world, but mainly Canada and the U.S. And most of them are classical and a lot of string oh. players. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. So the jazz band was like sort of a novelty. And um, but we all stay. There's all homestays arranged. So we stay with a family in the in the village. And so uh -huh. and it's very unassuming um, when you're walking down the streets, you're like, you really don't know what could be in anybody's home. Um, and so I stayed with a lovely woman named Pat Smith and she, um, her home was cute and yellow on the outside. I'm like, oh, this looks nice. And then I walk in and there's a courtyard garden in the center of it with all of these beautiful plants and hummingbirds. Oh, and my. just like, wow. it, I got to stay in the casita, which was a separate sort of apartment above her garage with my own yeah. washroom and everything. It was amazing. And it was so special to get to stay with somebody who, um, who lives there because you know i would have yeah. my morning coffee with pat every morning and then oh, sometimes man, we'd have wonderful. lunch together had dinner yeah. um and she would come to the concerts and it, uh -huh. it was just so nice to meet her and she was so lovely and i really really enjoyed spending time and getting to meet her 
Yeah, and just making a new friend and being with a friend, honestly, throughout that entire trip must have made it all that more enjoyable and exciting and just warm, Absolutely. I think. If, if the temperature wasn't already warm enough, then at least you get that extra warmth of, of that of friendliness course. of Mexico. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah, she was really lovely. She was an expat from Milwaukee. So Ah, I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you ever plan on heading back over there again, whether for um, uh, any upcoming, uh, maybe tours down the road, perhaps, or even just for yourself, if you ever wanted to go vacation back there and stuff? I I think, you know, I would want to go back for a vacation. I'd love to go back down again and do the do the festival again if they'd have me, because um, I, I had such a blast. But, you know, I would love to book a vacation there, too, because yeah. it's just... It was really sweet. And, you know, you're not you're not getting the resort experience from Mexico. But I honestly I thought this was much better because, you know, there's real people and you're getting really delicious food. Like and it's it's a lot less expensive. You know, like (laughs) I was paying 15 pesos for taco, like for a taco. And like that's like around a dollar. You know, and these are the best tacos I've ever had in my life. So good. <laughs> like I miss it. Yeah, I, I came yeah. back here and I like went to the grocery store, got a bag of avocados and it was expensive and they're not as ripe and they're not as good. And like, oh, yeah. No, um, so I would definitely go back. I would love to sing there again. And um, the people mm-hmm. I, I got, I kept getting walked up to like I was in the in the plaza because every well, most of the little towns there, they have a plaza. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like usually by a church. And so I, I got to see my friend Eliana uh, Ruiz Parker, who and she's an exceptional vocalist and a wonderful songwriter. And we went to Humber College, but she actually grew up in Ahihik. And oh, um, wow. so she saw that I was going to be there and took a visit. And so uh-huh. I got to see her and we were sitting in the in the plaza eating a eating a paleta or like an ice pop. <laughs> and there were three different people that came up to me and said, really enjoyed your performance on Thursday. This was so wonderful. Looking forward to seeing you again. So while I was there, like to all the expats, I became this little local celebrity, which is really fun. And I would be walking on the streets and they'd be like, hi, Katie, or out bird watching. And they'd be like, oh, Katie, we know you love bird watching. There's this kind of bird down the Malacan or like the boardwalk, like look out for it. And so it was so fun. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, no, that that is honestly fantastic. Aside from that, though, too, are there any places out in the world um, that you would love to just go and to perform and to play that, whether you have been there already or maybe that uh, you have yet to go visit as well on top of that? Well, I would really love to do a Europe tour eventually, but um, that's going to require quite a lot of planning. And so I'm not sure (laughs) when I'm going to be able to do that, but I would love to eventually. And Uh um well, I'm going to Japan in April, which I'm so excited about. Wow. Um, and that's that's a really fun tour. Um, and there's two Italian musicians that I'm working with, a couple of local Japanese musicians. And uh, the drummer, Joe LaBarbera, is actually going to be on that, which I'm oh, wow, very excited okay. for. So I've never yeah, been to Japan, yeah. always wanted to go. And I'm really looking forward to these two weeks touring around different the different cities like Osaka. And um, we're going to Tokyo and... Nagano I don't know if I'm pronouncing that one correctly I kept um but it's it's uh I'm really 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 excited about it yeah no that sounds super exciting honestly yeah so when you listening to this maybe it might be beyond it it could be closer to it but um what are some of the other shows you've got coming up just just while we're on that topic um on March 31st I'm gonna be at the old fire hall in Ancaster Ontario uh looking forward to that um, April is the two weeks in Japan, and then I think I'm playing um, in Niagara for Jazz Niagara's International Jazz Day on April 30th. And then May, I've got some gigs in Washington State, which I'm oh, wow. looking forward to. And yeah. then um, yeah. 
June begins my Cross Canada Jazz Fest tour. Oh, so that's going to be exciting. That'll be a bunch of different cities, a lot of cities in the West, and I'm really, really looking forward to that. Sounds very exciting. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Last thing that I'll, I'll want to kind of go through, and I guess this might be also for the benefit if you're listening, just wanting to really get to know how Katie does what she does. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, uh, and I've listened, I, I, when I was sort of checking out a little bit about you talking about what you do with uh, whether it's your own practice or when, whenever you teach uh, and you emphasize your training a lot and being just one of the biggest parts of being able to, whether it's for, for singing, for soloing, whether uh, vocally or even, even instrumentally, honestly, I, mm-hmm. I never realized I did it myself when uh, I'd say that I, I used to be more somebody who would quote certain solos rather than lift them or whatever and sort of say, or melodies sort of, I'll, I'll play, I'll play one jazz standard, but all when I'm soloing, I'll just reference another jazz standard in there somewhere in the mix and just play that as if, if I'm running out of ideas. But yeah. what would you say? Like how, how, how would you describe the value of, of ear training? And, and of course, you know, it, it may vary because some people do like to go by the book as they say, and sort of, you know, look, look at sheets and, and music, but others really just like playing it. Like, I, I myself love playing by ear and jamming as well, but how yes. would you describe the importance of, or, or the, or the advantages or whatever you want to say of ear training? Well, I think it's good for anybody, but especially like I'm an ear-based instrument. Um, I don't have buttons. I don't have perfect pitch. So um, in order for me to learn the language of the music, I've had to study the language of the music through solos and through learning melodies, um, but mostly through instrumental solos. And I've done hundreds of transcriptions of instrumental jazz solos um, just to gain that knowledge and um, familiarize my ears with the harmony of specific songs. So when I'm learning a new song, I will often transcribe a couple solos just so that I can hear how the soloist is making the harmony um, known within their within their melodic construction. And so I, I've just done this quite a lot, like so many different times, like hundreds of times. And I found that over... Over the years, it's really, really, really helped me a lot. Um, my ears are a lot stronger, and I I think it's very important. And I think you know, transcribing solos is not only good for ear-based instruments, but also you know, if you're if you're a horn player and you're writing it down, you know, if you get that if you get those movements onto the horn into your fingers, you know, that's that's going to help down the road as well. Not only with like dexterity, but you know, also like pulling from different language, learning the language. And I think that's sort of the most important part. And a lot of people forget about this. And, you know, I, I do private lessons for vocalists sometimes when I have time. And um, one of improvisation is often a topic that we cover. And with improvisation, a lot of people say, so how do you, how do you do this? Like I say, I transcribed a bunch of solos. They're like, okay, but like, can we like make a solo right now? And I'm like, if you want to be able to do this, if you want to be able to speak the language, you have to learn the language. And I'm I'm currently learning French right now. And so, you know, there's only so much that Duolingo can do for you. There's only yeah. so much that like passively listening can do for you. But if you don't have the vocabulary, if you don't have the facility, the like the accent even, you know, your point is not really going to get um, across very well. Yes. That's so you true. have to, you have to learn, you have to listen, but then you know, speaking is just as much an important part of it. And the comprehension is really important and understanding what you're listening is important. And especially like I tie it to language learning a lot because for me, I can read French fairly well. And um, my, I can speak more or less, I still need to, my vocabulary needs a lot of improvement. But the hardest part for me is the comprehension, um, hearing when people are speaking uh, to me. And yeah. so when I am transcribing solos, you know, at first, 
I was like, oh my God, this is impossible. I can't, like, I don't understand what this is. But now, you know, I can hear a line and I can sing it right back, like instantly, because I'm familiar with the language. I can sort of almost like, it's like a puzzle piece. You can see what's going to happen next if you know a player well enough. And so it's really, it's, it's not only about like being able to reproduce the solo, but to understand what you're singing or what you're playing. I think to help get the meat of it too, and then I guess to help facilitate future solos you want to listen to or transcribe because it just helps. I guess you get that understanding, right? And so that's absolutely, true. Yeah. Yeah. and it's just it's a good thing to do. Like your training is good. Spend some time with the music. It's like a deep dive into it. Um, uh-huh. And so I I get a lot of requests for my charts, my original songs online, and I'm I'm so grateful that people want to play the music. But um, sometimes it's like it, I'm like whenever I want to learn a new tune. I transcribe it. And I know some people might not be at that level yet, but um, the best thing that anybody has ever sent to me regarding one of my own original songs and wanting to play it is, hi, I have transcribed your song here. I was wondering if you could look at my lead sheet and tell me if I got this correctly. Um, I'm worried about these couple bars here, if the harmony is right or not. And that, that means more to me than anything else because it means that somebody took the time to learn the music themselves and then to verify whether it was correct um Uh because i i I send my charts out all the time and i'm like people are like oh i want to do this for my recital and then a big part of me wants to say like you should just learn it lift it you'll sound a lot better if you like actually (laughs) learn the song yourself (laughs) but um i don't do that because i want to make the music accessible um but i will say that you know the people that I learn uh, learn arrangements from, I can't I can't ask them. Like I can't ask Blossom Deary for her recording of some other time from her Comden and Green record. Um, right. So right. I have to transcribe it, and I have to hope that it's correct. And you know that's that, but that puts me so in touch with the music and gives me a deeper understanding. And I really wish that students would um, spend more time trying to transcribe charts and less time emailing for the easy way out. Yeah, honestly, you know, and and it made me think of one because, for instance, it's I can't simply just go to Oscar Peterson, rest his soul, and say, "Hey, uh, Mr. Peterson, there was a, there was this amazing concert you did in some undisclosed location in 1969 that I saw <laughs> on YouTube, and I love the solo, but I want to learn it. Do you have a lead sheet for it, or do you have any kind of transcription? You know, you you, you can't get that. <laughs> so well, yeah, I know you can't. Some people ask me for like transcriptions of my own solos, and I'm oh, like, dear. I'm not transcribing myself. Are you kidding me? I don't want to spend any time with that. No. <laughs> and and some people will tra- have transcribed me in the past, and I'm so flattered by it. But I'm always like, That's no, crazy, go yeah. transcribe Sunny Stitt instead. Like, <laughs> there's so much better stuff to transcribe. But the kicker that really gets me is when people want my arrangements of standards, because um, uh-huh. that is like, you know, some people are like, oh, I want. Can you send me your Bye Bye Blackbird arrangement? I'm like, honestly, no. I did. It's not written out. We did that in the last 20 minutes of the recording session, and we just. Like use your ears. We layered in instruments at each part. Like yeah. it's it's not it's not rocket science. And somebody asked me for the arrangement of it's pronounced George one time, yeah. and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, here's the lead sheet, and they're like, oh, can you send the arrangement? And I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like once again, last twenty minutes of a session. Like if you really want the arrangement, you can you can like. Um, it, it's frustrating. Now I'm just ranting, but yeah, it's, <laughs> I've had requests for my my music in other keys as well, oh, which is boy. like yeah. I'm like I'm not gonna. And the the best part is like saying willing to pay, and I'm like, 
this is my intellectual property. Like I'm not yeah. gonna some sometimes I just ignore them if they ask for stuff in different keys. I'm like, you can yeah. you can input this into Sibelius. Yeah, so I was gonna um, say Sibelius will do it for you yeah, and just you exactly. can do it. Sibelius, Muse score, Command finale, A, whatever you use. Transpose, yeah. there you go. <laughs> you <know? laughs> In a nutshell, yeah, honestly. Um, I wanted to reassure you something, though. Uh, going back, uh, and I, I intended to retain this particular detail about what you just uh, shared uh, about French, because I did French study, and um, this was back since grade five. So I oh, was wow. part of a, uh, I did an extended French program, which is around here in, in the, the GTA. And so uh, the school I went to, San Lorenzo Ruiz uh, Elementary School, Catholic Elementary School, um, started there. And went and continued up until grade 12, or to where I graduated from St. Aloysius Gonzaga uh, in Mississauga. And the thing is, just kind of to help reinforce your point too, we did a lot of reading, we did a lot of writing, a lot of listening tests and comprehension, but there is nothing like actually immersing yourself in the French culture in some way. Yeah. And Absolutely. a couple, and it's crazy, like the one story I have that I'll never forget, and this is, this is sort of what opened my eyes to, gee, there's so much more to just, there's just French than the classroom language that you get. Cause it's just, that's kind of like a safe space to learn. And once you leave the doors, you're just going back to speaking English again. So yeah. I remember in grade seven, we took a trip to Quebec and I said, at the time, being the grade seven I was, I said, oh, I'm sure my French was top notch. So I should have no problem communicating with anybody here in Quebec. I went to a McDonald's and wanted to say, let me test it. I mean, it shouldn't be too hard to order in French. So let's give this a try. I went and did it. And I was apparently okay up until about the time when I was about to go pay. And the, 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 um, the, 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 the girl at the, uh, the, the cash sort of said something like, uh, some like really quick random mm -hmm. thing. And I said, what? And I had to ask for a clarification a few times until she sighed and said, is that for here or to go? And I never realized that that's what she said. And I just felt so embarrassed sitting there because she was just like blurting it out and just, just was had no patience for it for me. Cause I was like, just couldn't take it. And so that's where I realized I, I needed to immerse myself in language yeah. a lot more. Right. I went back again five years ago, six, maybe now coming up on six years. It was a lot better, <laughs> much better after all that time, but still, because I didn't have a space to really practice because nobody in my family speaks French really. And there are only so many people I know, whether through this radio station or my friends group that actually speak French. So finding ways to immerse myself. So now listening to French music, sometimes is pretty helpful to listen in for lyrics. Absolutely. If I find old French soul songs or some Quebec classics, that's kind of my go-to because I, I love, I love soul. I love like the Motown stuff that I guess you mentioned growing up listening to Martha Reeves when you said that. Oh dear. Mm -hmm. I never knew that she and the Vandellas had so many songs I've just loved lately. And um, yeah, but it's just been immersing myself in that that really helps. So I can assure you then I guess that <laughs> it's a process. I, I've, I've never tried Duolingo, so I can, I could never really testify to that, but it, it definitely is, I guess, once you just really immerse yourself in it, then it's going to get a lot better from there. Absolutely. It, the thought just came to me. And so I, 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 I went, I went all the way back around just, just to throw that, but you know, it just, it just kind of felt like that's, and that's kind of how it is. Yeah. With, with music and improvisation and such and so on. So, um, I mean, Hey, honestly, thanks so much for the time. And, uh, how can we, uh, keep in touch with you or how can, yeah, if you're listening, want to, you know, listen to more of Katie, of course, her website's there. Uh, I've got you at your band camp, all your releases are there, your socials. Um, how can we reach out to you best? Um, you know what, my, my website, I've got a submission portal there that I, um, try my best to get back to everybody with. Um, but my email is also there, um, katiegeorge at gmail.com or katie at katiegeorge.com also works really well. 
Um, and, you know, I've got all of my socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, all of those. Um, but I prefer the email um, method a lot better than Instagram DMs. <laughs> oh, yes. No, I, that makes perfect sense. Oh, it's no worries. And, and uh, you can always catch, of course, Featuring is is uh, out and uh, all of her other albums, or well, their other releases now pronouncing and whoever knows what else is up ahead. Okay, this is a podcast-specific edit. I just wanted to jump in here just to tell you about this. Uh, since after that last bit that you just heard of me in conversation with Katie, I would have actually been already in conclusion mode, where I would have been doing the outro music, my thanks to you, and all of that. But in that conclusion, I did mention that there was a question that I wanted to include. There was another question that was asked, but just because of our show runtime, I would not have been able to include it. Otherwise, we would have spilled over by quite some time. So I figured that I would share that at least on the episode page uh, for this show, which you can find in the description of this episode. But also... For your convenience, I figured why not throw it in the podcast because this doesn't really have any specific runtime limits. So here we go. I'm going to actually tack on that question here before we do our official conclusion, and I hope you enjoy it. So this question, just to kind of set it up, was related to one of the songs on the album featuring, and I'll let you hear the title of it. Actually, first a snippet of the song, and then the title, which you'll probably hear me talk about and ask about in my question. So hopefully you enjoy this, and back we go into the interview. But the doc says I'm showing no symptoms And I'm not sure how that can be My cardiologist told me that my heart is neat But should it not be skipping beats? So I'll give myself a mean case of the hiccups Till I skip a couple beats and become lobstruck Um, one last question, and uh, I feel like I should have inserted this way back before, but it's a quick fire one. One song I forgot to mention that I absolutely loved also, whether it was from the album or just the various versions I heard, My Cardiologist. Oh, I'm glad <laughs> now, you like that one. That one, uh, and uh, how, how did that one come about, title? Because this, one, I believe, is an original composition of yeah. yours. And uh, it's, it's, it's just such a, such a, such a fun uh, listen in terms of lyrically and just just musically too but how did that thank you um well this one i wanted to i mean when i'm singing about you know what i sing about is typically like love or friendship or sadness you know that there's there's very very few um there's not a ton of subject matter so it's the challenge for me is finding different ways to explain those feelings and so with my cardiologist i wanted to tell the story of somebody uh, in this case like a woman who is in, thinks she's in love, but she's not displaying any of the different signs of being in love, the different symptoms, like, you know, her heart skipping a beat um, or, you know, she's not blind, you know, because love is blind um, and she's not. Um, what was the last? one? Oh, yeah. She's not head over heels. She's not tripping. Um, so there's all these different, so she's trying to induce these things. She said, well, should I like somersault to try and make myself head over heels? Like, how do I, I feel this way, but why am I not showing the symptoms? Um, so mm -hmm. I wanted to, I put that in the song despite, and I think, you know, using the word cardiologist is just really fun. Like yeah. I wanted cardiologist, that's like a five, five syllables. Yep. Yes. Um, yes. and so it's not a word that's often used. And so I just went from cardiologist to podiatrist to optometrist. optometrist yep. So um, 
and even like GP, like general practitioner. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so I wanted to bring in that sort of element element to it. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And uh, I was really happy with how the song turned out. And sometimes I, I write songs and I'm not trying to like toot my own horn or anything, but <laughs> I just write the songs and then I come back to them and I look at the lyrics a little bit later and I'm like, oh, that's actually kind of good. Like that's kind of clever. And so that's <laughs> how I felt with this one. <laughs> oh yeah, no, that's amazing. And, and, and if you're listening, I don't want to spoil any much more of this album. So you should definitely check out featuring once again, that's out and all the different formats you can possibly imagine. But Katie, thanks again so much for your time and we'll remember that it's pronounced George. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And there you go. That was my conversation with Katie George here on First Up, and I hope you enjoyed that. This has been First Up for 93.3 CFMU, broadcasting out of McMaster University in the basement of the Student Center in Hamilton, Ontario. Uh, This show is being produced and recorded from home for me here in Mississauga, but it goes on nonetheless. Thanks once again for tuning in, and until the next episode, I'll see you then. Have a good one. Ba-da-ba-da-wee-oo Ba-da-ba-da-wee-oo Ba-da-ba-ha-ba-doo